as a church. Um, just want to remind you that um, we are quickly approaching our next series, which will begin um, next Sunday, beginning of June, and that is our study in the Gospel of Mark. And so the name of that series, of course, is Away, The Way of Jesus. Um, you would have gotten one of our new info cards. We get these once a month now, remember? And so being that next Sunday is the beginning of June, we wanted to make sure you had these. And so it just gives some updates and some things that are happening. A great reminder, something you can put next to your bed, in your Bible, on your fridge, right? Just a reminder of some things that are coming up. It has the fellowship barbecue, graduation Sunday, the work day. Hey, Father's Day is in June. I want to remember that. Um, and so uh, also on the back, it just has that update about what we are beginning to study next week, and that is the Gospel of Mark. And uh, so keep that with you. And, um, you know, we've been going through a series of sermons and messages that uh, are designed to prepare us for opening the pages of the New Testament in the Gospel of Mark, and seeing how God comes on the scene in the form of Jesus Christ. And so as we do that, we've covered things like, as we ended Malachi, we've talked about the kingdom. We've talked about what it means to, um, to serve the Lord, to recognize that there was prophecies being fulfilled, that God is a promise keeper, and how God sent prophets, Malachi being the last one of the Old Testament. But how then Jesus and John the Baptist, foretold as the next prophet, were prophets themselves, speaking forth the word of the Lord. And that was a message of repentance. That is how we open the pages of Mark, which we will do next week. But our final installment of messages to prepare us to sort of link the two, the old and the new, we are talking about those 400 years of silence today. They're called the silent years. Today we're going to look at God in the silence. Some history, which is really important to bridge that gap, but also so applicable to our lives and what that means that God is at work even when we don't see Him, or sense Him, or feel Him. We can often say that perhaps God is silent in our lives, but as we look back at those about 400 years between the Old and the New Testaments, God was certainly not silent. Now, He was silent in a way in that there was no more prophets, there was no more speaking of His Word, so the Old Testament canon and Scripture was closed in a sense, and God used those about 400 years to let that word that He spoke, that we, that we had, that the, the uh, Hebrews had, the people of Israel had, He let it sort of ruminate throughout their, themselves, their culture, and the world around them. But there was a lot else that was happening during those 400 years. There were some really important historical events that were taking place that we don't often learn about. And see, why it's so important that we take some time to focus on it and then see what we can learn from it is because when we open the pages of the New, Text, uh, New Testament starting next week, there's going to be some names that are going to come up and some, some uh, 
some names of like different groups of people. And we're going to wonder, where are these people coming from? Because they're not really mentioned, all of them, in Malachi. And all of a sudden, we open up Mark, the, one of the Gospels, and we see things happening. It's like, well, what was going on? What was setting the stage to get there? Because it will help us to understand. And truly, we cannot fully comprehend or understand the whole story of Scripture, especially the story that we see beginning in the New Testament without understanding the Old and what happened in between. So as we go from the Old to the New Testament, our last message sort of in that series, we're going to look at those 400 years, often called the silent years. I say this morning, we will talk about, look at God in the silence. The silence of Scripture, perhaps the silence in our lives. And so I just want to start with some history, sort of an outline, and so it would be a good opportunity to take some notes, maybe to jot down some names in a timeline, but we won't spend too much time on it, but it's very important because all these details matter. Don't we know that from our own lives that the details do matter? Did you ever plan something? Maybe you planned a trip or a project and you left out one detail. Doesn't it kind of affect everything else? Doesn't it? Um, We've been blessed to have all of our kids home, all three of our kids home uh, for this past week. And, um, you know, we, we've been able to, to just kind of reminisce and maybe go through some pictures and talk about memories. And, you know, and usually it's those things that come up that Claudia and I as parents that we did wrong and, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? You know, but, uh, but it's, it's all fun and it's good. And, and I was reminded of uh, a time, actually a couple of times, where I had unfortunately left my, my daughter Julia... Uh, behind and um, once when she was an infant we you know brought her home and Claudia was working at night and came home to our, our apartment and I came upstairs with Lauren and Luke are older too and we came upstairs and shut the door and sit down on the couch man and then one of them said hey dad I said yeah they said where's Julia and so of course I just sprung out of the couch and ran downstairs and she was quietly sleeping in her car seat in the car and so for about two minutes there, she was on her own, being very independent. That was good. But there was another time when she was much older, and you know we had all gotten in the car to go somewhere as a family, and I had forgotten something, so I asked Julie to hop out and go and, and get it. And so I think she took a little bit longer than I expected, and so I thought I heard the door close, probably one of the other kids. And so you know, as parents, you make a lot of assumptions, but you know what happens when you assume, right? And so then I figured, okay, well, we're ready to go, and all the kids are in the car. I started driving away, and then as we pulled around the corner, I looked back, and I noticed that, where's Julia? (laughs) And so we went around the corner and came around. Here she was just sitting right in the middle of the driveway with the thing that I asked her to get, (laughs) just kind of waiting and, you know, assuming, I guess, eventually we would notice that she wasn't there. See, but um, there was things that... uh, that we certainly don't want to forget. We don't want to forget that God is at work. God is at work even when we believe that there's silence. And so I'm going to give just a quick overview of those things that were happening during that time. And so at the end of Malachi, which we studied together, We know that the prophet Malachi prophesied that there would be another prophet coming. And we knew that to be John the Baptist. And we looked at that. But here's what was happening in the land at that time. So we remember that 
during the, the time of Malachi, the prophet, that Israel had been back from exile in Babylon, right? From the Babylonian uh, captivity. But now they had a different ruler, right? We don't want to assume that they were now in charge of themselves. They were now ruled over by Persia. Because, you know, just like today, there are countries that war uh, together and they look for power and control. And so it certainly was no different back then. So the Babylonians were at one time the dominant power in the world and they had taken Israel into captivity. And when they came back, it was now Persia who had overthrown Babylon and uh, were now in control. But when they came back during Malachi's time, the temple was restored in Jerusalem. The priests were serving in the temple. They were still of the line of Aaron. And that's important to know. This is all happening during and just after that time of Malachi. Zerubbabel was the rightful king and of the line of David, but he was not in charge. He wasn't sitting on that throne of David. You remember the Davidic covenant that God made with uh, King David, that whenever there was a king ruling over Israel, that 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 king would be in the line of David. And so Zerubbabel was that man, but he was not ruling because Persia was in charge. But yet, there was relative peace and unity among the people of Israel. But then as those 400 years started to move on away from the time of Malachi, and even as you would open the story of the New Testament, there is a different scene. Things look very different. Because when we open the pages of the Gospels, who is now in charge? It is no longer Persia, but it is Rome. See, the Romans are now the dominant power, not Persia. There are now factions among the Jews where it was about 400 years earlier during the time of Malachi and just after. There was relative peace and unity, but now there were factions. There were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, names of groups of people that we read about in the New Testament. There is a king on the throne now, But he is not of the line of David or from Jacob. He is from the line of Esau. That's really important. Remember Jacob and Esau? So there is now a king on the throne as we open the New Testament story. But he is not of that line of David. He is not through Jacob. He is through Esau. And his name is Herod. Herod the Great, a name we're familiar with. Now, there are priests in the temple but they are no longer of the line of Aaron. These are priests that are appointed by Herod and others. They are paid. They are more like politicians as we know them today rather than rightful priests of the line of Aaron. You see how things are different in just those 400 years? It's important. The temple is still in use, but over those 400 years, the temple in Jerusalem had been damaged and repaired and damaged and repaired multiple times, six, seven times during those 400 years. And now there's synagogues that are popping up all over. Yes, the temple is still used. The priests there are not of the line of Aaron. But there are synagogues now that are more important. And we see synagogues talked about a lot in the New Testament, don't we? See, this is where that all started to come about. Galatians 4.4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. I want to leave that up for a little while. Look at what it says. What Paul says in his letter to the Galatian churches. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So that, of course, is Jesus, right? And so as we're going to begin our study in the Gospel of Mark about the life and times in ministry and teaching of Jesus Christ, we see that He is born under the law, but born only when it was the right and perfect time. It's so important. Now we know that the whole story about Jesus' birth, we celebrate that every year at Christmas, and we remember it often throughout the year, but it was when the time was full, when the time was right, and the time was perfect. So Jesus was born at just the right time. It was God's timing. Do you ever wonder about God's timing in your life? Say, God, we're not on the same page. Right? Wouldn't you wish that God was sort of in sync with your watch? You know? But God had the exact time prepared. And this is why it's so important we look at those 400 years. Because God was at work. You know what He was doing? Preparing. He was preparing the way. Just like we saw in Malachi that John the Baptist would come to prepare the way for Jesus, God was preparing the way for John the Baptist. See that? God was not silent. Yes, it was silent years in a sense that there were no more other prophets. There was no more Word of God being written and dictated and and put forth into scrolls. It seemed as if to the people of God that God was silent. God, where's the Messiah? You're going to send another prophet? Tell us when, where, how? Silence. But yet, even in the silence, God was orchestrating history and all of its details. God was setting the stage for Act 2. If we look at the Old Testament, as sort of Act 1 of the story. The New Testament is Act 2. And God had to set the stage. I remember in middle school... I was part of um, you know, the, the school musicals. I think a lot of us have done that, right? And uh, the first one I was a part of was Oklahoma. Remember that? And uh, great musical. And uh, I was backstage. I was behind the scenes. That's where I like to be at the time. And, and I was running the lights. And so what happens when there's a show going on and they close the curtain? Isn't there a lot of chaotic activity behind the scenes? People getting stuff ready, especially in middle school, you have teenagers bumping into each other and props are being broken and all that happens, right? So here I was in charge of the lights. I had this big lighting board and a whole schematic in front of me. And why on earth they gave me that responsibility, I have no idea. But as the curtain closes in between scenes or acts, I had to change the lights according to all the details. And every player in the play had to take their place. They had to know whether they were on stage or not. They had to rehearse their lines and remember what it is they were going to say. And the prop master had to get everything ready and see everything had to happen behind the scenes. Because if you're in the audience watching, if you're a spectator, you don't see any of that. Sometimes in a middle school production, you see the curtain, kind of, <laughs> right? Because that's the teenagers bumping into each other. Thing. But it's all behind the scenes. It's like what God was doing. During the 400 years. Behind the scenes, the Israelites, as sort of the spectators, don't really see anything happening. God, where are you? 
What's happening with the Messiah that you've promised? But it's all behind the scenes. See, my son Luke works in the, the film industry, and we talk often. I ask him lots of questions about how this sort of works, and he works behind the scenes. He gets to work with the actors and the cameramen as a production assistant, doing all kinds of things, you know, and, but it's all sort of happening behind the scenes. Now, when we go to see a movie, right, you see the finished product. But wasn't there so much that had to happen? Did you ever sit and watch the credits at the end of a movie? And they go on. I mean, they have special songs written that go on for like 10 minutes because there's... But that's so important. I never really used to care until Luke got into the industry. And now I look for his... Those people are important. You ever see that? All of a sudden it'll say like stunt people and there's like hundreds and hundreds of names. You're like, wow. But you recognize it took all those thousands of people, especially for those big blockbuster movies, to make all of that happen. Right? We would even share stories and he would tell about, you know, why it's so important that everybody on a movie set, just like in a stage or a musical production, why every part of what they do is so important. Because one little mistake or detail missed will cause a chain reaction of events where everything has to stop. You know, and so we were talking once about how some actors, like in a movie, if they have to put, let's say, some some army gear on, right, and get like a, a vest and a helmet on, they get their gun and everything, and they're shooting like out in the jungle, right? And so these actors, we just kind of see them, but it could take hours for them to get into their uniform, their costume, whatever. And so if they take all that time and they're sitting there sweating, they're ready and they're, and they're geared up, and then somebody behind the scenes doesn't do their job, the director has to hold it, cut, right? And it could take hours to reset everything up. Ever wonder why maybe some actors, they don't look so happy? And when they talk, they can be a little disgruntled. Why? Because who would want to do that? Get all suited up and then nothing. It's like all dressed up for a party and nowhere to go. Right? But it's so important that all the details are put into place. But we can't truly understand and appreciate all the events of this story that unfolds from the Old to the New Testament without knowing what happened beforehand to get us there to set the stage. See that? To set the stage for what was going to happen next. So a little bit more in our timeline. So there were still powers shifting in the world in that day. Remember we had the Babylonians who had taken the Israelites into captivity. They came out of captivity because the Persians took over. And there's actually some of that predicted in Daniel 7. You can write that down and look at it later. Read Daniel chapter 7. And you'll see some about the Babylonians and the Persians. About what was happening, what was predicted. But during Persia's reign, this is really interesting. During, so you had Babylon, right, Babylonians, then the Persians. And during the Persians' reign, the Persians' reign, there was another nation that was starting to rise. It was the Greeks. It was the Greeks that were coming to power. Greece began to rise in its power, even as Persia was still the dominant power, now you had Greece rising to power under a leader. His name was Philip of Macedon. But it was his son. It was Philip's son. Philip was the leader of Greece at the time. They were rising to power. It was Philip's son who would change the tide of power, change the tide of the world at the time. His name was, anybody know? Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. Change the world. Change the tide of the power struggle. 
It was in the year 330 B.C. So he had about 400 B.C. or so at the end of Malachi. So about 330 B.C., about 70 or so years later, he led, Alexander the Great, led Greece in a great war to defeat Persia. So you had Persia defeated Babylon, now you had Greece rise to power and defeated Persia. So Greece was now the dominant power of the world. But then Alexander died shortly after. He didn't have any sons. He had one son who was murdered. So he didn't have any heirs. So what happened was, and this is important, because we're getting close to the opening um, scenes of the New Testament, that Greece then, after Alexander the Great died, was divided up, the powers divided up into Alexander's four generals. Kind of makes sense, right? He didn't have any sons. He had four generals. And so the power over the Greek Empire was now divided in four ways to the four generals. There's two of them that are important for us to know for our context today. There was Ptolemy, who took over Egypt, right? South of Palestine and Jerusalem. And Seleucus, who was another general, who took over Syria. So you had Seleucus in the north and Syria, and you had Ptolemy in Egypt in the south. If you can picture a map, who's right in between them? Syria and Egypt? Palestine, Jerusalem, the people of Israel. So it's sandwiched in between. And so, of course, what's happening is you have these four generals who at one time were fighting together, right, under the flag and the reign of Greece. Now, of course, they want to do their own thing and have their own power and control. So they're warring. So when you have these two countries that are warring together, who's sandwiched right in the middle? People of Israel. But of course, there was then influence coming from the culture, not only from politics, not only from, from war, but there was cultural influence as well. For about a hundred years, these two nations, Syria in the north and Egypt in the south, both with Greek histories and influence, right? They were warring for about a hundred years. Palestine right in the middle. You can read Daniel chapter 11. So more about that. So read Daniel 7 and Daniel 11. But here's why it's important. Because during this time, there were influences in Palestine and Jerusalem and all the surrounding cities from those two countries that were warring. They both had Greek backgrounds. So, there then came a group within the people of Israel called the Hellenists. We know about the Hellenists. We read about them in the New Testament. They wanted to bring that Greek influence into the Jewish culture. So the Hellenists were ones, they're a group of Jews who said, yeah, we want to have this outside influence from these other nations come in and, and sort of to change us. People have said, well, they're kind of the liberal ones among the Jews because they said it's okay to let the culture influence us. And, and yes, we want their thinking and and we want them to affect our culture and our religion and, and all that. And so, of course, that created some division and strife. That's why it's really important that we remind ourselves that during Malachi's time, beginning of the 400 years, there was relative peace and unity. Now, the New Testament story opening, there's division and there's separation and there's strife because you had the Hellenists. But those who were resisting that influence, they wanted to preserve the Mosaic Law and all of the traditions that they had made. They were the Pharisees. We know about the Pharisees, right? But then those who welcomed that outside influence, the Hellenists, we know them as the Sadducees. So when we read about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that's basically where they came from. 
You had all these things in history that were coming together. See, leading up to it, it didn't just happen. But God all along, who is always sovereign, right? He's always sovereign, working out the details, orchestrating it all together. I hope you're still with me. This is important. So we learn about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's where they came from. So the Pharisees were the ones who were strict, obedient to the law, but even to a fault because they added in all their traditions. Weren't the Pharisees the ones that Jesus spent the most time speaking out against? Because they had lost the spirit of the law, what God had called, called them to represent. But then, of course, you had the Sadducees, and they really became more interested in politics. And they were sort of the secular ones. So there was strife between the two. And then you also had a third group. We don't know much about them, but the Essenes, right? They were sort of what we would call like the pietists. Like we might think of like uh, the Quakers, or even like the Amish, right? Sort of the way we can think about them. The Essenes, they were a much smaller group, but they said, let's get away from it all. So they went outside to caves and kind of outside the city. And they were protecting the word, the law, which was good. And they were waiting for that Messiah. But they separated themselves. Those we probably heard about the most, because those are the ones who wrote out what we know now as the Dead Sea Scrolls. They protected, preserved them. Right? And when those were discovered, we recognized, all the scholars recognized that they were scrolls that were used and protected by the Essenes. So, God was using them, see that? To put aside these ancient scrolls in the caves one day be found. All behind the scenes, God is working out the details. So, during this time, The leaders in Egypt, they also had the Hebrew Old Testament translated for the first time into Greek. We call that the Septuagint. Maybe you've read that in your Bibles, like in your study notes. They called it the Septuagint because there were 70 who translated it. That's still very influential today. The Greek translation, the Hebrew Old Testament. So, as we quickly get to it, then at about 200 B.C., the Syrians in the north... They conquered Jerusalem under the leadership of Antiochus the Great. That was his name. He was now the leader in Syria. Okay, almost there. So he came down from the north, Antiochus the Great, and he conquered Jerusalem. But then it was one of his sons that then took over. When Antiochus the Great died, one of his sons took over, and he was called Antiochus Epiphanes. He was known to be the most vile and cruel leader to rule over the Israelites. At one point, over 40,000 people were killed during his rampage on Jerusalem. He entered into the temple of the Jewish people all the way into the Holy of Holies, kicking out the priests, disbanding the, the Aaronic priesthood, the Holy of Holies. He defiled the temple by offering unholy sacrifices. He destroyed some of the scrolls of the law. So of course, with such a vile and ruthless leader, there had to be a revolt. There was a revolt led by one Jewish man. His name was Judas Maccabeus. Did we hear about the Maccabeans? Or the books of Maccabee? No, we don't have them in our canon because they were never deemed to be divinely inspired. But yet, part of, I believe, the Apocrypha, they are still 
good to read for historical reference. Because they tell all about that revolt against the Syrian occupation and Antiochus Epiphany, right? Especially because of what he did to desecrate the temple. So there was many years of fighting and warring, and Judas Maccabeus, he led a small revolt, and they were successful over the great Syrian armies. And so the first thing they did was they cleansed the temple that had been defiled. Today, that day is celebrated by the Israelites called the Day of Dedication, when they cleaned the temple. So, so Judas Maccabeus, his ancestors continue to struggle to maintain control over Jerusalem for about 200 years during their struggles against other nations. But here's what was happening. During that time, Rome was growing in influence. Remember when Persia was ruling, Greece was kind of growing behind the scenes? That's what powers do, right? They recognize weakness in other nations. And they start to gain power and control ready for the right time to take over. So the Roman Empire was doing the same thing. There were doors that were open. Too much detail to go into this morning. But then the Romans came in and took over occupation of Jerusalem. Gained a foothold in Palestine. It was around the year 60 B.C., 60 years before the birth of Christ. They became the dominant power in all of Palestine, and that would set the stage for the life of Christ. Why is that important? For many reasons. And here's our application for us this morning. End with just a few minutes of this. It's often been said, but we forget. How about things like the roads and the infrastructure that the Roman Empire brought to that part of the world? Did that not make it the perfect opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be spread? Jesus, it made it easier for him to travel. And after he died, it made it so much easier for his disciples, the apostles, to spread out because of what the Romans had done. See, of course, that wasn't their design, but it was God's design. God was working behind the scenes during a so-called 400 silent years. God in no way was truly silent. He was setting the stage for the appointed time for his son to come into the world, the promised Messiah. It was the right time to keep His promise and to answer the prayers of His people. Here's the way I think it relates to us this morning. Perhaps some of you are sitting here and maybe you feel like you're in a time of silence. Some people call this church age, the age of grace, silent years. There's no other prophets, right? There's no other additions to the Word of God. But for the past 2,000 years since Jesus lived and died, has God been silent like He did for those 400 years? No. One of the main things we have to remember is God has already spoken. We have His Word. Amen to that? Because He has spoken. It was the same during the 400 years. Because God had spoken through all of His prophets and through His servant Moses. They had the Hebrew Scriptures to lead and to guide and to direct them. But perhaps, personally, we think that maybe, maybe God has been silent towards us. See, we say often that perception is reality. Doesn't that seem the way the world works? That whatever is perceived is reality? Well, 
Yeah, but it's, see, it's our perception. It's our perspective. And that's why it's so important we remember that. Yes, it's how we see it and it's what it feels like, but even so, it isn't. Reality is reality. God is our reality. We may perceive at times in our life that God is silent. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you feel like God has been absent or distant. It might feel that way, but I can guarantee you it isn't so. We see it in His Word. We see it throughout history. God is always at work on behalf of His children. Orchestrating history to work out His will. See, we are called to trust the reality of His promises and not our perception of what we think reality is. Trust in the promises, not the perception. Trust in the promises, but not the perception. Why is it that He sometimes seems silent? There's a saying that goes, we've probably all used it many times, absence makes the heart what? Grow fonder. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. We say that, why? Well, somebody that we love and cherish has gone away for a long time, maybe on a trip or something, and we don't see them for a long time. And what happens? We say that in that absence, we grow to recognize what, how much we need them and love them. The absence makes the heart grow fonder for that person. Right? It means that when we're away from someone that perhaps we miss them, we realize we need them. You know, we hunger and thirst, don't we? When we go without food and water. What's the essence of that? When we are deprived of something, we crave it and we need it. Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5 say this, Sing the praises of the Lord, you saints, and give thanks to His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment, and His favor is for a lifetime. And then look what it says. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. We all know that one, don't we? So we might be sitting here feeling like, yeah, we're in the night time. We're in a season of night. Maybe a season of, maybe not darkness, but gray, of fog in our heart, in our walk with the Lord. But God reminds us so beautifully his anger, his discipline is only for a moment, but his favor is a lifetime. Weeping might be just for the night, which might seem like it lasts forever, but joy comes with the morning. Because whenever there is night, we know that there will be morning. Should God desire it. So some of us may be experiencing a time of fear, of worry, of despair, of sorrow, of weeping. Perhaps you're going through what we would call a dry season. A season when you might desperately be crying out for living water to refresh your soul. Your garden, once lush and thriving, now might seem a bit wilted from the heat, maybe overrun with weeds that threaten to crowd out the goodness and the growth. But you know what? God reminds us this morning that He has not abandoned us. He has not forsaken us. He is not distant. He is not disinterested or indifferent. He is not silent. He is near. God is near. God is close to the brokenhearted, it says in Psalm 34. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is preparing you for something. Because God is always preparing. 
even when you're in the midst of His will, doing what He has called you to do, He is still making preparation, setting the scene, and setting the stage for what is next. We all have a story to tell, don't we? We all are part of this greater story, this grand epic, and see every step of the way. God perhaps is writing out new script for us, new lines for us to act out. Maybe a new scene for us to be a part of, new props to use. Do you see all of that metaphor and analogy? Like God is setting the stage for us in our lives just like He did for the people of Israel during those 400 years. Next week when we open pages of the Gospel of Mark, we're going to look at John the Baptist. We're going to look at Jesus come onto the scene and say, how did this all happen? need to remember the details of how God was preparing the way for John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus. And all the things that were happening around in the world, in the powers that were dominant at the time. But it all happened, as it says in Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time had come. Let that be sort of our word for this morning. The fullness of God's time. Maybe it's not the fullness of God's time yet your life but don't despair have faith all god wants us to do is what be obedient and trust we trust we obey and we wait and in that waiting in that waiting we are to be patient the way we can do that is to listen so let's be challenged this morning to listen and to wait because god is at work and He's doing something amazing because He's an amazing God. And He's doing it for you. It might come to fruition tomorrow. You might see the first inklings of it a year from now. But regardless of the timing, it's God's time. It's the fullness of His time. Just like it was the perfect time for Him to send His Son. God is waiting for that perfect time. Bring about His will into your life. That can look different for each of us. And every step of the way, we go through seasons. But all along that way, God is with us. Do you believe that? We pray together. Father, we thank You for the fact that You never leave us nor forsake us. You are at work in our lives. God, You are so good and You're gracious to do that. God, we see it throughout history. We see it even in Your very Word. And God, we want to be um, we want to be intelligent when we look at Your Word, when we open Your Word and we read it, and we study it, we meditate on it, we pray through it. We want to understand the context of what's going on. And Father, we know that we'll be richer for it, have a deeper understanding, God, even more ways that we can, we can show our faith and trust in You. For God, You simply call us to surrender and to yield our will to Yours, our timing to Your perfect and full time. And God, it's not always easy, especially when we're going through a season of drought or of dryness, a time of darkness, or a time of uncertainty. God, would You speak to us through Your Word, bring us to those passages that will encourage us, Use your spirit within us to remind us of your word that we have hidden on our heart just at the right time we need it. God, would you bring other people 
other saints into our lives to speak words of encouragement and truth and hope to us. God, you use your church that way. We're thankful for that community you've given us. God, we can't live it out ourselves on our own. We need each other. So Lord, please, would you encourage us this morning? God, if we are in a season where we are thriving and growing and everything is lush and green around us, God, we are praising you and thanking you for that. May we be a word of encouragement to others and to give you praise to it all. But God, it is our desire to love you and to honor you. And finally, Father God, to share with others who are struggling that hope. God, we are but beggars who have found bread, showing other beggars where to find that bread. That is the bread of life. That is the Lord Jesus. God, for anyone here who is still searching, who is still walking through those struggles, Lord, let them find that that peace this morning. Let them find that hope and that freedom that only you can bring through your Son, Jesus Christ, for he is the only hope for this lost and broken world. God, we are your representatives. We are beacons of hope and light, reflecting you in our, our workplaces, our families, communities, and the world around us. God, may we represent you well. May we love well, just like you love us. And God, when you seem silent or distant, remind us that you're not. You're always at work. God, know that we love you. Father, we have gathered in Jesus' name, it's in his name, that we pray and that we worship. Would you stand with us and just as we close in a time of song, just be reminded that we are to give ourselves away to him.